A plutonium bomb testing is the matchstick, the fuel, a selfless Lieutenant Colonel caught in the crossfire, and the entirety of Las Vegas is about to go up in flames. This is Kaiju versus History, the amazing colossal man. Welcome back, everybody, to another bone marrow soaked in radiation filled episode of Kaiju versus History. My name is Miles, and this joining me as always is Patrick oh. for a another Bert I. Gordon masterpiece, <laughs> Mr. Big himself with 1957's The Amazing Colossal Man. Patrick, how are you doing today? How how are you after surviving last week with the Black Scorpion, and now we are still in Mr. Gordon's thrall. What yet again? <laughs> yeah, one, once again, this is another movie we talked about last week. How we we are skipping some American monster movies just because there's so many of them. I originally, I don't think I had the Amazing Colossal Man on the list. I did have the Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, but my memory of watching these on Mystery Science Theater three thousand much like the black scorpion I think was on there as well. Wasn't super positive. Didn't really remember them that well, but yeah, I, I put it back on because this, this has a place there's elements here. There's, there's worthy tropes and things we're going to talk about there. This movie's interesting because I feel like the, the, the reason this movie doesn't quite succeed is for very, very different reasons than some of the other ones that have it. And I'm looking forward to to getting into that a little bit. But so we last saw Gordon directing at the beginning of the end on this podcast. And, and this movie just released four months later in 1957, which is wild. 57 like, is a huge year for, for monster flicks in but, America. But also for Gordon, because yeah. you've got more than one film in the same year. And, and that's wild. Apparently, originally, they wanted to get Roger Corman to direct this, which yeah. this honestly fits into his canon pretty well. I guess I didn't know he was making movies that early. I always think of him as like 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, Roger Corman. But he was like 33, I think, at the, the time of the this filming. Yeah. And I mean, Corman, Cor you could have an entire podcast dedicated to Corman. And there probably <laughs> is one. <laughs> the... the <laughs> the core cast, the Corman cast. I mean, look, if if, if we keep going with this but, and we run out of things to do, we can always go back and go through the Corman. Bert I. <laughs> Gordon is is already a, a Roger Corman in this this era because he is he's churning out these lower budget movies and the studio. There, there is more to Corman than just churning out. Yeah, well, I mean, towards the end, obviously, <laughs> that's what he's. He's kind of known for sure, but Cor Corbin had his fair share of really quality material. There are a few Bird Eye Gordon movies that we're actually skipping. They're kind of in the the canon. We talked about how we we will skip Earth versus the Spider, but also in 1957 he did the Cyclops. He also was a screenwriter for that, but 
that's really is not super kaiju-esque even though it has a a cyclops like a 30 foot tall human as as well as his earlier films serpent island and king dinosaur had kind of similar elements they have king dinosaur has i think a giant king kong like monster maybe in it but also the uh, eponymous King Dinosaur. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which one of the reasons we're not doing that one is the animal cruelty aspect, because I think they had an iguana that they just kind of stuck some more spikes on or something and, and uh, prodded him up on his back legs. But this movie, we only have to worry about human actors, thankfully, <laughs> in The Amazing Colossal Man. This is another AIP, American International Pictures film that was top bill the the a movie to the film cat girl which sounds like a, a batman character i mean catwoman did have a sidekick did she ever uh, have a cat girl i believe so hmm. at one point in time we're not gonna go down that <laughs> that <laughs> cat girl rabbit hole right but the, i believe at one point she did have some sort of uh, sidekick in the 40s or 50s. That sounds about the time. Where- but I mean, it was also not a character that didn't go for very long. <laughs> this one did. Amazing Colossal Man. Are you ready to get uh, talking about the, the movie? Yeah, I believe this is another situation where there's not a lot in this title. I think it's for the most part kind of when the production for the movie is so short that you can't have, you know, multiple drafts of a script or, you know, things like that. And I don't think it was it must have gotten some international releases because it did become pretty popular eventually. I, I just don't think they did much with the title when they release it internationally. It's, it's, it's just one of the most fascinating things about these movies, why they do get other titles. But Outside of the U.S., it almost everything was still the Amazing Colossal Man or the Incredible Colossus. It, it was translated, I think, into Colossus in like Greek. Um, in Portugal, it supposedly came out as the rival of King Kong, which I don't know, like why they're stealing thunder from King Kong for the the title. But its working title was the Amazing Inth Man, and it might have might have come out in some places with that title. It was a technical adaptation of the Homer Eon Flint short science fiction novel, The Inth Man, from about 30 years before 1928, which I read a synopsis for in our kind of lead up into to watching this movie. And it sounds pretty intense. It sounds like an attack on Titan monster, which is described as being miles tall, which is like, I mean, Obviously impossible, but also improbable for like what they're planning to do. Holds the the world hostage and asks for like these millionaire fat cats to be removed from power and says he's going to like, you know, destroy them if they're not handed over. And it's a very different story, obviously, from what we get in The Amazing Colossal Man. But they bought the rights to have kind of a giant human on on the rampage. And they they talk in this movie at the beginning that this is that the test that that starts off the film is supposed to be like the first plutonium bomb test. Is that what they said? Do, do you remember something like that? Yeah, I was like, oh, is that 
true, but no, both Fat Man and Little Boy were plutonium cores. So maybe they meant like uh, a fission bomb or, or I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that they can't really be cutting edge with a lot of that technology. Cause I feel like a lot of it was probably top secret. Those, those bomb testings they were doing in the fifties. Either that, or this was supposed to take place when they were testing for the oh, initial, yeah. I guess there's, well, the only, it, only thing we have to date this movie too much is the Vegas that we see in the end of the film. Right. Because I, I mean, yeah, that's a good point, but I, I, I don't also don't think they were putting a lot of thought into that. <laughs> yeah, good good point. <laughs> yeah, so, so so yeah, there's not a whole lot of of additional history for this one. I mean, outside of the stuff with with the novel that you mentioned, Patrick, there's there's not a ton. Well, it was made in such short order. The I think the the main producer Jim Nicholson, you know, when he got the rights to the novel, like we said, was, was looking to Roger Corman to direct, and so they pulled in. Mr. Big himself, Bird Eye Gordon, who obviously had to rework the script with Charles B. Griffith. And they were originally adapting the novel. And I think the first run at it was a comedy, which doesn't really work <laughs> for this one. But it eventually it, it could have worked, but mm-hmm. not with this script. Griffith quit and his writing partner, Mark Hannah stepped in. I think he has the final writing credit screenplay. Oh yeah. Screenplay by him and and bird eye Gordon. It's always interesting to me when in in this time period, especially the directors have, have writing credits for the film in Toho. Like they were the main authors usually, right? Like Ashira Honda wrote (laughs) Godzilla wrote Mysterians and, and Rodan and really helped especially with the, the dialogue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, I mean, cause you'll have people like in Mysterians, you'll have other people credited as a screen screenplay writer. I think Takeshi Kimura does the Mysterians, mm-hmm. but yeah, Honda absolutely had a lot of authorship in, in a lot of the stuff that he did. So yeah, it's, it's not insanely crazy. And I mean, we, is this, is this our, this is our first human sized Kaiju or uh, Kaiju sized human, correct? Yeah. That we, we have on cinema. Yeah. And one um, of the reasons why that we, probably had to do this movie it's pretty historic so yeah i, I, I kind of want to start getting into this because you know we, we've we've made a couple of incredible hulk jokes <laughs> well, leading it's, up it's, to to this because it, it's impossible not to yeah it, yeah it's, I mean, he was the, the, the beginning is the origin ray. of the incredible hulk yeah um, so lieutenant colonel glenn manning played by actor glenn langan which is so funny that they both have, they're just like, yeah, your name's Glenn, whatever. <laughs> he yeah. is in charge of men that are, are being tested upon basically by hunkering down in the wake of an atomic bomb testing, supposedly a plutonium bomb testing. And an aircraft comes into the testing site and crashes. And he goes out to, to save the pilot who may or may not still be alive in the, the crashed airplane, which never, never, they never get to him. And obviously I guess he gets obliterated as well. Doesn't turn into another colossal man, but yeah, they, they never, they never go back to <laughs> the, the pilot, that, 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 that <laughs> whole situation. And, and what's weird is like, it's an interesting situation because the pilot doesn't respond. 
And we don't know if, if it's a spy plane, if it's someone who got lost. We have no idea what the situation with that pilot was. Just flying over the desert, having a good time. Yeah, we, we and we never we never find out. Yeah, it's just the inciting incident to get him out and sure in um, one of the most brutal scenes of this movie. I, I was very surprised by the the blasts scene. Yeah, I'm. I mean, it's it's juxtaposed with this dipstick running out there to begin with, <laughs> knowing. I mean, because it, it was already delayed, so it was going to go off at any second. Yeah. Um, but when you see the blast that like shreds his clothes, you see his hair completely getting kind of burnt off. And it's, I mean, a, a surprising depiction of an atomic blast in 1957, because you don't get something that brutal. Like it honestly, it feels like a classic black and white version of what would eventually become the inf- famous sequence in T2. With Sarah Connor experiencing the nuclear blast. Yeah, oh my. <laughs> which is also extremely brutal. But there are echoes of that. I mean, to see a blast done with that attempt at realism, with what they could do in 1957, it, it's pretty It's pretty admirable with mm-hmm. the attempt to do that. I, I, was pr- I was, honestly, for the first act of this movie, I was extremely impressed. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised by a couple of these movies in the 50s including last week's The Black Scorpion, that were as violent as they were. Because, you know, going back to that name, (laughs) just going back a few years and they they barely showed anything in them and none of those other early films. We really ever see anyone dying, even in Godzilla, which has some fairly brutal scenes. There's. Uh, I mean, Godzilla apps. I, I, no, that has some brutal scenes. We're going to see Daddy now. We'll go yeah. down in kaiju history as one of the most brutal endings to someone's but life. <laughs> you don't actually see anyone being hurt on camera. You see like the after effects of like everyone in the hospital and things like that. But it, it's weird to see violence kind of on that scale and like someone's flesh being burnt. It's just it's 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 pretty metal. Actually, I saw that. I was like, whoa, Bird Eye Gordon. Way to go. Yeah, where did this come from? <laughs> and, and then uh, there's nothing that really matches that the rest of the film. As well, far so as I, I, I will say, like I mentioned, I really enjoyed the first act of this film. I like this kind of thriller they invent because so he's in the hospital with these mm-hmm. awful third degree burns over his entire body. His uh, poor fiance, uh, Carol Forrest, played by Kathy Downs, who does a pretty admirable job mm-hmm. through most of this movie. She, you know, she keeps checking in on him and the doctors discover after they cut off some of the the bandages that his skin is healing. And so she she retires the evening comes back the next day. And not only is Lieutenant Colonel Manning gone, but no one seems to have ever heard of in the hospital. No one. It's, it's like he was never there. And everyone acts like she's a complete stranger. It's a really, really cool setup. It's two years before the the first broadcast of the Twilight Zone TV series. Kind of feels like a mm-hmm. early radio science fiction thriller story. And... I feel like if there are parts that were cut down, pared down, and written a little bit better, it would have made for probably the best episode of the Twilight Zone. You know, if they can cut. Honestly, I feel like the Colossal Man should have, like, that aspect should have been, the reveal should have been at the end of the second act. If they kept this thriller part up, 
Yeah. And then and then and then kind of sped because so they, they whole, do spend a lot of time in the second act, just a morose giant. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the that's where this movie slows to a crawl, because everything up there is pretty great. Her kind of doing the detective work and then flying to Nevada mm. and then basically fo- fading confidence and sneaking into this base and finding her fiance and then seeing that he has started to grow far past the the size of a normal man. Yeah. All everything up to that is fantastic. And if they had saved, if they had done more with the kind of spy thriller, government secrecy stuff up through the the second act where they reveal him and then and then he starts having the kind of negative reactions and goes on a rampage, that would have made a de- decent little movie. But because this the reveal of the giant wraps up the first act. And then, like Patrick said. The second act is all him just kind of philosophizing and being morose about being a giant. We, we, we said she a few times, but also similarly named after her actress. Not not all the way, but Carol Forrest is Glenn Manning's fiance. And she's I said, I said that. Oh, right. And she's played by Kathy Downs, mm-hmm. who yeah. was, you know, has been in a few other science fiction films in in the the 50s not not a lot of stuff that i recognize really feel like a lot of b b films mm-hmm. but she yeah she like you said in the first act certainly carries the movie there are a few elements like i said i wish you had they'd hold held back that reveal until um later until further on in the end of the film yeah because yeah the, the the film just slows to a crawl at this point I think the the one cool part is you have he's when he comes out of his I don't know if he's in a coma or what, but he's having a flashback to the war. So mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing this couldn't have again. I guess this had to have been after World War II. I guess it Be- could have been Korea, the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Korean War was in the 60s, wasn't it? No, <laughs> it was in the 50s. Was it 50? So oh boy, yeah, it was 50 to 53. Oh wow! Yeah, I, I, I misplaced my decades. Well, um, it, could, it could have been it could have been Korea, but even still, it's still after the Second World War. Yeah. So uh, we we can't excuse this movie for for the first plutonium bomb nonsense. But there, there's <laughs> oh, there's, right. there's, a, there's a flashback that's pretty brutal, like including someone getting shot in the face. Yeah, yeah. For the most part, those I I thought maybe those flashbacks would come back in in some way, shape, or form. They and they don't like they I, start, I thought, well, maybe they'll give a, an interesting perspective of PTSD and yeah, or, or maybe but, we find out no. like he's not a good character through the flash. They don't really do anything with him. They just kind of feel in that second act when he's dreaming, like they're filling up a little bit of space. You, and you it, have, it's, have, it's uh, just, oh, go, go ahead. No, you go. Ahead. I was going to say it's disappointing because Gordon clearly wants to showcase the horrors of war. Everything that is realistically depicted mm. is the atomic blast and the brutal war scene. Everything else has a fantastical element. So I feel like Gordon was really trying to showcase that, you know, war is awful. And here are some of the after effects of it. It's, it's very, very clumsy. Yeah. But, I, but it's interesting that he chose to focus those two things to be the realistic, brutal parts of like, there's a scene where when the guy, when he, when he goes on a rampage, he he does a couple things like when he freaking like darts the one guy with the syringe and it, it's so silly. Whereas I, I, I think that was an, a purposeful choice because 
again, the stuff that was done with war is very brutally realized where this just looks fantastical and silly. We actually get some scenes that that were made public of the A-bomb testing, you know, a very famous scene of like a roof just being torn off of a building as it's hit by a shockwave and, and things like that. There are definitely elements that add to the production value that they utilize very well. And a lot of the technical aspects that we'll, we'll get into that work well as also as, as he's continuing to grow and kind of change scales, some things like the first time he wakes up in the room and he, he picks up like the teeny phone. And it's like, it it's like if they made like a, a, a phone playset for, not even a toddler, like a baby <laughs> sized like that. Yeah, I like, it's, I like those it's objectively props. funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, they kind of knew what they were doing there, but it looks good. I mean, model yeah. work and things like that kind of look good in that room. I, I wish they had more things to scale him I, as I wish, the movie went on. I wish this movie hadn't been rushed because I feel like that's part of the problem. Because I think we said it was what, four months of production that I had. Yeah, it was, it was real fast. Yeah. So I feel like if they had spent a little bit more time, I a couple of things out did another pass of the script and just redo that entire ending. I I think it could have been a super, super strong movie. It's because I know it sounds like we're talking very, very highly about a movie that we're probably not going to rate very, very high. And and it's, it's because there's not a lot to say about the second act. It just drags and it's, it's entirely, you know, them, the, the Lieutenant Colonel Manning is trying to acclimate to his giant form and it's not going great. And he's getting, you know, morose and kind of philosophical about things and talking about yeah. wanting to die. And it just takes forever. They, they finally casually mention, oh, this is also affecting his brain, which gives you a, gives the, the film a reason to have him go on a rampage downtown Vegas. And I gotta say, Manning, going through the city kind of doing this, this King Kong homage slash ripoff <laughs> looks really, really bad. The superimposed man oh, yeah. just looks awful and it undoes, a, undoes a lot of the goodwill that I was giving this film. And uh, the, the, the entire third act just deflates in, in what should be an exciting and at least cathartic <laughs> ending. It's just, it's flat. And then they finally just get a couple shots off and he falls off a dam. And <laughs> yeah, after and he, after injecting him with the serum that will stop him from growing, and it's like, oh, okay. And maybe we'll cause him to shrink, but it doesn't seem to take effect immediately. And then yeah, the military opens up. This this movie is one of the worst offenders, I think, of the very quick cut to credits. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can tell, like, they just wrap it up. And <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, he gets shot. He falls off this, you know, log dam. You hear the Willem scream. You see this awful superimposed Manning just kind of get slowly lowered down the waterfall. It's a, and it's, then it's the very, kind of, very iconic boulder dam that they actually, you know, I guess had footage of and, and superimposed him on top of. Yeah. And um, Cause everyone seems to kind of look over. He's, he's apparently dead. Everyone shrugs and goes home. And then the, the end pops up. There's no, there's no finale. There's no, there's no denouement. It's he falls off the end. And 
Yeah, I, I I was so upset because thanks for his fiance there. Yeah, well, just because this movie starts off so strong and ends in a fashion that is in line with some stuff in last week's movie you, that you would bums me out that a kaiju film like this would be building towards that end scene where, you know, the effects and things would be the highlight of the film. And that's not really the case. I, I, I think the most interesting parts is like when he's he's growing and and like you said, in the, the first act, the the mystery and stuff. I agree <laughs> basically for 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 what your your posts and they're up on uh, your your thoughts. And it's one of those movies that I my only real memory originally was, you know, is the Mystery Science Theater 3000 adaptation. And it's it's not one of the best in its T3K episodes. I think it's I mean, some, one of the lowest rated. Isn't much to work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's a good one to make fun of, but it's not all bad. Like you said, there's there's elements that make this watchable. At the very least, it's pretty short. It's another one of the I feel like eighty minutes. So if you have an hour and change to to watch a fifties classic yeah, and, movie, and, well, unlike last week's uh, the Black Scorpion, this eighty minutes didn't feel super super long even though it really drags in in the second act i I, we haven't even talked about all the actors william hudson plays dr paul lindstrom and is mostly you know they they could have had like a nameless character be the scientist trying to it's such a waste of a good actor yeah yeah he's, he's been a lot it's just doesn't need to to be in there Another actor that's been in a million uh, mm-hmm. science fiction and, and, and fantasy films in the, the 50s also was in the, the She Creature. Voyage the Bottom of the Sea is a, a big one. Sands of Iwo Jima was un- uncredited. I'm trying to think of some of his, his larger roles here. And, and we will see him in the following year in the Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. So one thing I wanted to t- touch down a little bit, because one of the reasons that we included this is it does you know it's the first kaiju sized human as well as this p- continues playing with the idea of of messing with the nuclear bomb and and i think this is the first one where we get a more direct correlation where it's like this blast went off and it affected this person mm-hmm. i i assume i mean despite what his the origins of the hulk being re- arrested in jekyll and hyde stanley had to have seen this movie I, I, yeah, when, when, what the Hulk was like 62. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not too far away. I feel like, despite, I think the attack of the 50 foot woman being a little more kind of invasive in our, our cultural zeitgeist, this, this one has a lot of chops as well. And there's a lot of kaiju cinema to come with just huge humans, you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, and Honey, we're also, I blew up the kid. <laughs> Those so kind Honey, of I blew up the kid. I mean, you can tell the, the director saw this movie and recreated that whole sequence with the baby. Well, I was um, about to say, does that take place in Vegas? It's been so I long. Thinks I know he. I know I have not seen this movie. Are since we about the 90s. to? Are we about to add it to our list of kaiju films? I, you know what you. This is you know one what, I, Patrick? This you know is one what? I didn't even let's, think of. Let's let's, let's do it. Let's <laughs> let's let's add a honey. I blew up the kid. We're gonna skip shrunk. Yeah, entirely. It it takes place in Las Vegas. 
Yeah, because he plays the hard rock guitar. Oh my goodness gracious, boy howdy! Well, I'm I'm glad we're having having these conversations live on air. But you're, I put that in my you're, notes. Listen, you're listening to, to to inside baseball behind the scenes magic right now. <laughs> but no, there, I mean this this does inform a lot more American films. But you do have Frankenstein conquers the war, world and War of the Gargantuans in Japan. Right. So right. the the idea of human sized kaiju is or, or sorry kaiju sized humans. I keep doing that. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> is uh, this will continue so I, I mean not only that but the the idea of you know continuing with the with the nuclear stuff and i like that it's a different sort of reaction than just like oh some bugs were crawling around in the desert and they got big this is very similar but we see a little more pathos we see a more personality in the colossal man despite the fact that the ending completely deflates it yeah. He's an interesting character. Oh, and boy. at least that is something. I mean, I was complaining last week and I'll probably complain more about some of these American movies not having their their titular creatures or monsters or characters having any personality. And I can at least say this one does to a degree. Now, until the un- third act. Until the third act because becomes the uh, colossal beast or well not not only that but i mean because they they they, they write this little past they have where like oh it's affecting his brain so he's just basically this instinctual neanderthal and yeah. you may as well have a giant baby up there yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and you know we haven't even gone into it like you said it's, it's really dipping into a lot of these actual war themes and and real life depictions i mean it's kind of like someone with ptsd from the war and him going through those stages of trying to deal with what he's seen in the war pushing away his loved ones eventually just kind of regressing and going back towards uh, you know violence or whatever he's more confused as he's walked around vegas like what's this is this a lady taking a bath you know (laughs) actually rip off king kong and, and push his hand through through the window the, the, oh, that scene kind of infuriated me. Like at first, I'm like, okay, he's being a peeping tom. That 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 well, that's Rex. Well, she but, screams and runs behind a curtain, and he's like, oh, you know, he's just there's there's not a lot of anger. I, I don't know. I guess I think it would have worked better if like it was making him more violent as opposed yeah, the, to I mean, just confused. Like I said, they they just kind of wrote in this. Oh, his his mind is regressing just to set up for the fact that when he finally kind of pops, he just goes on a rampage and there's no, it's disappointing because I would have liked it to have been like, he was just taking out his frustration. Like let that have been a part of this, this wounded soldier story. Like if you're, if you're going, if you're going to follow the brutality of war and its effect on people and nature, let that be the natural end of the story. Not, Let's write a little, you know, MacGuffin in here. And here's he's, your reason. He's sick of the government denying that he exists. And he goes to Vegas just to show everyone that he's alive and he's real. But the fact that he's just wandering around the desert eating cattle. Is, is that is that confirmed in this film? I think so. Um, is, you know, a little disappointing. But yeah, as far as his legacy is concerned. We do get a sequel, which 
<laughs> spoilers we're going to be talking about here as well again you're watching our friendship disintegrate before your very eyes because i <laughs> i i imagine that patrick is doing this just to f with me it's it seems so <laughs> wrong to watch the first movie and not the second it is the same characters as different actors but it is also a bird eye gordon production yeah well what's wild is from what i remember it it's the same characters it takes place like the next scene after a dude falls off the dam and i, I don't think any of the characters return i know the, the characters outside of, outside of manning I don't, I don't think the fiance returns does she you know there's uh i mean we'll talk about it but there's a Joyce Manning, so maybe it's I like, think that's his sister. Oh, yeah, maybe it's a sister in, in that movie. Oh, yeah, that's weird. Maybe, well, you know, they, they did recast Glenn Manning in the film, and it's a, a Burt I. Gordon actor that I think he used in the Cyclops, Duncan Parkin. Mm-hmm. Dean, Dean Parkin. Parkin. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it does have a sequel, which technically this is like, only the third kaiju movie to get a sequel. <laughs> so, I mean, it did well enough that it did travel to South America and Europe. I don't know if there was Japanese release or, or anywhere in, in and around that world. So I don't know how effective it could have been over there, <laughs> but it, it, I mean, it did fairly well and, and they made a movie sequel the following year, you know, <sighs> Let's let's okay. We 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 have sussed into this movie. Reviews at the time were fairly positive yeah. for this one because uh, a lot of people liked the kind of the the thriller story. They thought they thought Glenn Langan delivered uh, persuasively. The technical de- departments were well handled. I disagree with that aspect, but Variety, you you do you. And and New York Times commented on the imaginative story premise. I think that you know yeah, people were pretty amused by this one at the time. It currently holds an approval rate of 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. So a little bit better than last week's. <laughs> yeah, just a, just a tidbit. <laughs> but I, the, the audience score is also not great. It's at, at 21%. Oh, never um, mind. <laughs> the last yeah, so th- this, this suffers more than The Black Scorpion. However, I do like this movie better than The Black Scorpion. Not by a ton. I think that I think the third act does completely deflate this movie. But let's talk a little bit about our, you know, our personal scores. Um, so <laughs> as we say every week, both Patrick and myself use a scale of one to ten to individually look at the personal enjoyment, the technical and aesthetic elements of a film, and the emotional and evocative responses that the film generates as a piece of art. Yeah, we so- then combine those scores to get one number, and that will be our podcast rating for the film. So, Patrick, walk us through your personal enjoyment. Yeah, I don't know if... We, I mean, we we combine all three of our scores and then combine those two. I don't know the math that well. If, if we did it a different way, if that would affect things. But I, I like the fact that we evaluate these individually. I, I, I really... like more numbers going into it. I think, I think it gives yeah. a better, uh, well-rounded kind of number for the final review. Yeah. I, I don't like just giving my personal opinion because I like bad movies and I dislike some that are like, you know, classics quote unquote. This one's right in the middle. There's some good stuff. The second half, there's a lot of rushed ideas that I wish they developed. Mm. The flashbacks going nowhere. They didn't really add 
a lot of the plot. There's a lot of stilted dialogue. And despite Glenn Lang and, you know, doing pretty well in the delivery, it's like you can't, you know, make those words jump off the page. This one wasn't really saved making an MST3K film. You know, sometimes bad movies become good, bad movies in that kind of way. But yeah, all in all, I kind of think I prefer watching The Giant Claw because it is good, bad. Whereas this one is just just average. So I gave it a five out of ten for personal enjoyment. I I also gave it a, a five out of ten. Uh, like I said, the first act was extremely solid. And the second act just slows the film to a halt. And the third act, the the rampage across Las Vegas is simply uninspired and uninteresting. And it's a bummer because I think this film hadn't been rushed. We would have had things be a little bit different. But as it stands, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of the road. I if someone wanted to check it out, I wouldn't stop them because I, I do. I think the, the setup is is great. And, you know, it, it peters out. I, I think this could have been a really, really solid film as opposed to just a middling one. But that's where we are. As far as the technical, I also gave a five here because the the war stuff, but with with the the plutonium bomb and the flashbacks and the set work they did in the the end of the first and second acts were all really, really solid. But once again, once Manning goes on that rampage, it just looks like they put no effort into it whatsoever. Yeah. And it's it's really it's kind of hard to watch. <laughs> I mean, it's saved by the fact that it's really like the last 10 minutes of the movie. So if you're, if you're a clock watcher like me, sometimes you're like, all right, well, I can sit through 10 minutes of this, you know, this kind of action. Sometimes you, you get to the climax and you're like, there's 30 minutes left. Huh? <laughs> but I, I'm right there with you. Technically the first half of the movie is really good. Second half is really bad. And I give it a five out of 10 effects so bad they are kind of i mean they're not hard to watch they're a little little boring when he's just stumbling around vegas i i like the destruction of some of like the famous vegas landmarks at the time i feel like this movie more than many others deserved a honey i blew up the kid kind of spiritual sequel at the very least to to go back to vegas and get some more fun things to do i mean maybe maybe honey i blew up the kid is the the remake that this movie deserves yeah maybe maybe it is the the legacy it needed emotionally and as a as a work of art as rushed as it seems i i think there there are you know some good elements here but i i think that's probably why it's not remembered fondly and why maybe Attack of 50-Foot Woman is. Uh, we'll see when we get to that movie. The performances aren't here. I, I mean, they're they're here. They're, they're not enough to really save it. And for yeah, that reason, it's, it's fine. I gave it a, a four out of ten. So that's my lowest of those three. But definitely, definitely not not good. But as as a as a film, first half works, second half doesn't. I'm I'm with you hundred percent. I I also gave my emotional cultural response a four out of ten. I think that for the exact same reasons you said, I, I the film mm. is clearly rushed, and in in that way, it feels very in, uninspired in the second half. And and because because it deflates so drastically, it it really takes all the power away from the really good stuff it does. It's it's really. I think the disappointment in 
the execution of everything after the first act is <laughs> is so drastic. It's, that, it's like it's like watching a movie fall down a flight of stairs. And you it, know. it really is. <laughs> I cannot stress how solid this movie starts. Like I was really shocked by how much I was enjoying. I was enjoying this film. And then it just nosedives. And it's really disappointing because I think there was a great film to be had here. And if they had just spent a little bit more time, we could have had an American Kaiju classic. I wanted to earlier see than the poster, you, you know, yeah. the, the poster's got jet planes come at him and he's like falling down on the street as tanks are firing at him. No, that's that doesn't happen. In the movie, uh, unfortunately, but that that will do it for our scoring. And we uh, we both uh, had the, the same score which means the final for Kaiju versus history, it joined the long list of other four rated films. This is a four kind of across the, the final scoring. Well, you know, like a 4.5, but we are going to, I think it's 4.3, put it on down to the four. So it's down there with the majority of other American monster movies, which, which makes sense. Kind of wish it, it, you know, had a little bit more, to it but i do too fortunately that's not the case all right so that's going to do it for for this week's episode you know what to do please give us uh, a follow if, if you're just listening to a single episode and a rating or review on itunes those kind of things on the podcaster podcaster apps and if you just want to interact with us online you can go to twitter at kaiju versus history or email us with your comments and and why you might have liked this movie at kaiju versus history at gmail.com and go on to our website to listen to other episodes kaiju versus history.com and get ready for the next installment of the the podcast our our march through the history of every kaiju movie ever made <laughs> and i'm starting to regret the every <laughs> part of our our podcast credo well i mean here's the thing as as playful as, as i get with some of my anger towards some of these films i think it's i think it's important to go through all of the all of the the main films in in the kaiju canon and we are nearing the end of our time with the 50s and yeah, we'll real, start really quickly getting into what i would consider more kaiju proper films soon and and as such we'll get a taste of that when we catch you next week, when once more, after a long stint stateside, we will return to mainland Japan to sit at the feet of the master, Ishiro Honda, and some of Toho's fondest and most interesting sci-fi films in its entire history. That's right. Tune in next time for History versus the Mysterians. <laughs> <laughs>